Airline leaders plead to restart transatlantic flights. And a Gold Coast hotel property for sale stands to provide more clues about how much investors will pay for downtown hotels as we emerge from the pandemic. You know, two years ago, you would probably look at a hotel like this, like the Talbot, and say, someone is going to buy this hotel uh, at a good basis, at a good number, and say, I'm going to make it work. I'll talk with commercial real estate reporter Danny Ecker for more. It, it's, I think it's, it's funny when you ask anybody, say, okay, what's, what's the likely, where do you think this hotel is going to trade? What, what's the price, uh, a reasonable price? There's just a lot of shoulder shrugging. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, June 9th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined by commercial real estate reporter Danny Ecker here to talk about a Gold Coast hotel that Sterling Bay has put up for sale and how this stands to show us quite a bit about the market's appetite for hotel properties right now. So Danny, welcome back and tell me about this hotel that's for sale. Yeah, the Talbot Hotel uh, in the Gold Coast. It's 20 East Delaware Place. This is a hotel that was, I mean, it's been around since the 1920s uh, in different forms, different uses, but in uh, 2015, Sterling Bay, which many people know as, you know, the office building developer that brought Google to the fold market and is, you know, really known for turning old buildings into cool office buildings, they decided they were going to try their hand at owning a hotel. And so they bought with a bunch of different investors, including actually John Cusack and uh, Chris Chelios, among some other celebrities that were in, in this deal. In 2015, they bought the Talbot Hotel and they did a big renovation to this thing. They added some new rooms. They, they really, it was a full scale, just, you know, updating a lot of things in this, in this property and made it really nice. And they, they ran it for a couple of years with a couple different managers and now, and, and then COVID hit of course, and just totally sent the whole hotel market sideways. And so it's kind of been a bit of a bumpy road for them during this ownership tenure for the past five plus years. And uh, now this uh, Sterling Bay and their partners in the hotel decided to, to sell. What's interesting about it is that, you know, we, we've seen some of these hotels now hit the market this year as some of these owners have said, look, all right, we're, we're going to test the market and see what, what, uh, what people will pay for hotels, given the uncertainty of what rates are going to be uh, for the next year, two, three years. But this one, a lot of the hotels that have hit the market haven't been, you know, really nicely renovated properties that are kind of in position to thrive but for the fact that we're still in a pandemic and we're not really sure what corporate and, and, and leisure demand is going to look like for the next year or two. So I think this hotel is going to show us a lot about, you know, what investors will pay for a hotel that is basically, you know, they don't have to come in and pour a ton of money into it. They just have to come in and run it well. And, you know, the, figuring out what a hotel like that is worth is going to be a really important data point to rebuild the market here and, and figure out, you know, get a baseline again for, for what hotels trade for in Chicago. 
So then overall, what has hotel occupancy been like? I know through the past year, we saw it get down to the single digits. What has that been like as we're moving into summer? It's been picking up. It's, uh, there's, there's some positive signs, some green shoots after just nothing happening for you know, a year plus. Uh, the latest data from STR, which is uh, kind of the industry standard uh, gold standard, I should say, for, for, for the industry in terms of analytics. They said that occupancy at downtown hotels that were open uh, during the last week of May was 42%, which is actually, you know, half of what it would be in a pre-pandemic normal year for that time of year. But for the whole first year of the pandemic, you know, it was obviously very bad at the very beginning. And then it for no single week during the pandemic did it get above 27%. So we are now seeing leisure demand start to pick up. Uh, it's supposed to, you know, get a lot better as the summer goes and think about some of the, you know, big tent pole events like Lollapalooza and, you know, the auto show, which is going to be uh, in July and some events come back to McCormick Place. Th- this number is going to pick up, but it, it has been promising for some downtown hotels that are actually starting to see bookings get back again. And they just don't know how long it's going to take to get back to kind of that pre-pandemic normal. I mean, there's all kinds of predictions out there about whether it's going to be next year or three years from now or what it exactly it's, it's all going to, how it's going to play out. But this summer is just so crucial because these numbers of occupancy and the rates that hotels are going to be able to charge, these are going to be the clues that I think a lot of these owners have to go to their lenders and say, hey, look, we're, we're starting to make a comeback here. You know, we need to buy some time. Please don't seize our property because obviously some of these hotels have had to strike agreements to stop paying their their debt for a little bit or or uh, you know modify their loan agreements to to do to be able to survive so this summer is very important and and so far uh, in the early weeks of uh, of warm weather here there's there's positive signs and hotel owners just hope that it keeps keeps going up and, and normally when we talk about a pending deal or a property that's up for sale, we kind of look at the timeline of what, what's expected to happen when. And that's, I think, what's so unique about this one is I think a lot of eyes will be on this hotel to kind of figure out what that appetite is in the market for, for what happens next. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a few others. You know, the Blackstone Hotel on Michigan Avenue is, is up for sale. Uh, there's another dual brand Hampton Inn, Homewood Suites, that's just off Michigan Avenue that... Uh, is on the market. It, it's. I think it's. It's funny when you ask anybody. You say, okay, what's what's the likely? Where do you think this hotel is going to trade? What what's the price? Uh, a reasonable price? There's just a lot of shoulder shrugging, you know, because no one really knows. And that's the, that's the challenge here. If you're selling a hotel, no one really knows how to value a property. Of saying, well, what's okay? Are we going to have to put more money into this? And and uh, you know, how how what are we going to have to sit through? And how long we're we going to have to endure? Um, you know, a, a slow recovery if, if we're going to do this. So it, it used to be, you know, two years ago, you would probably look at a hotel like this, like the Talbot and say, someone is going to buy this hotel uh, at a good basis, at a good number and say, I'm going to make it work because they're, you know, this is a good location. It's a, a high quality property. There's a, a number of different demand drivers around there. And they'll say, yeah, we're going to buy it. We're going to make it work. Now it's like, even if you buy this at a, a pretty low number, people I talked to who said, well, they, they would, this might, might just barely be able to clear the debt that the owners have on the property, which if someone, you know, in, in a normal time, someone would say, well, gosh, someone's going to buy it and say, well, we'll make that work because the, the number they're paying is so low, but there's a lot more engagement with some of these 
investors, prospective investors out there who are trying to say, well, look, it's, this is, this is a, a risk. Uh, even if we do buy it at a, a pretty low number, this is a, a significant risk we're taking on a, a, you know, betting that not just the market overall, but the downtown Chicago market is going to come back, you know, a market that relies so heavily on corporate travel and, and, and meetings and, and events at McCormick Place. And I'm, I'm reminded of uh, when you and I talked about the, uh, the Elysian Hotel and how that one was picked up so inexpensively. And there was some speculation that that might be the start of this kind of free-for-all where people were trying to find these hotel bargains. And then now to look at it maybe a year-ish later, it's very, very different. Yeah. You know, the, the Waldorf there was that, that was such a, you know, there were some of the hotels that traded early on in the pandemic, like that one, uh, as well as the St. Jane Chicago, which is now the Pendry Chicago uh, after it was sold, that were kind of, you know, struggling before this all happened. And then it just all kind of came crashing down. And it was just so incredible how, especially in the case of the Waldorf, how little was, you know, the, the number was so low compared to the pre-pandemic number. And you thought, or at least what, the, the, what it was worth the last time it sold several years before. And it made you think, oh gosh, all right, is this, is this representative of the market? And, and I think now it, it still very well could be, you know, I mean, that of properties trading at a price that's half of what they traded for four or five years ago, but who's going to make that risk and when are they going to, you know, buy that property. That's, that's the big challenge is, is, you know, at what point do investors and especially lenders feel comfortable enough to say, yeah, let's make a bet on, on any downtown Chicago hotel. And I do think that we're start going to start to see some of these, you know, investors are finally going to say, all right, we've passed the bottom of, of the pandemic. Things are not going to get worse. So now maybe the time and they've just figured out the right price to say, all right, here we go. Let's, let's try to ride up the recovery and, I think we will see some projects that 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 come out that you know of of investors saying we're we're ready to to bet on this again. Indeed. Well, we will keep turning to for the latest when that happens. Thanks so much. Sure thing. Thanks. Coming up, community leaders who've been impacted by racism, discrimination, and divestment in underserved Chicago communities get fifty thousand dollar grants from the Field and MacArthur Foundations to make a difference. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Here's a great way to stay in touch with Crane's Daily Gist. Subscribe to the Crane's Morning 10. It's our daily newsletter featuring the 10 biggest stories of the day. To subscribe, visit chicagobusiness.com slash morning 10. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Airlines from the U.S. and Britain issued a joint urgent request for travel between the two countries to resume, saying government curbs on the world's most lucrative air route are holding back an economic recovery. Leisure and business trips could restart without undermining efforts to combat COVID-19, the heads of Delta, United, American and JetBlue said on Monday. They were joined by their counterparts from British Airways and Virgin Atlantic, along with business groups and airport executives. And while carriers have been pushing to resume transatlantic travel since last summer, the latest push comes just days before President Joe Biden is set to attend the G7 summit in England. Virgin Atlantic CEO Shay Weiss said the industry is looking to reopen travel between the U.K. and the U.S. by July 4th at the latest. And President Biden's visit has renewed hopes that talks on a reopening could be a thing, most likely starting with quarantine-exempt flights for vaccinated passengers. 
Prior to the pandemic, London to New York was the world's top route for revenue, generating more than a billion dollars each year. London Heathrow Airport CEO John Holland Kay said that reopening the corridor would, quote, show that there's a prize for taking the lead in vaccinations. The airport has said its American passengers normally spend the U.S. equivalent of $5.3 billion a year in Britain, which is almost a quarter of the total of foreign tourists. And so airlines are lobbying for the U.S. to be included on the U.K.'s so-called green list, a list of nations from which passengers can skip quarantine requirements. The U.S. currently has amber status, meaning that arrivals have to self-isolate. But restrictions are even tougher for flights in the other direction, with only American citizens and permanent residents and their families allowed into the U.S. since March of 2020. United CEO Scott Kirby said that airlines would take about four weeks to ramp up their services across the Atlantic once travel is allowed to return. Waning demand for COVID-19 vaccines in recent weeks has driven healthcare providers to move away from their earlier strategy of mass vaccination sites in favor of a more targeted but perhaps more difficult approach involving community outreach. And Cook County Department of Public Health is working with the county health system, Cook County Health, on that community outreach. The health system recently reduced the number of mass vaccination sites that it has run since December from six down to three. They plan to commit 30 percent of the health system's total resources toward expanding its hyperlocal vaccination effort across 32 communities throughout suburban Chicago. Data from the CDC's Social Vulnerability Index and from the National Institute of Health's COVID-19 Pandemic Vulnerability Index were used to identify the county's priority communities for outreach. And most of those communities have large ethnic populations and or are predominantly communities of black and brown people where the rates of those who are fully vaccinated are well below the county's average of just 42 percent as of June 2nd. Teams of mobile vaccination units have been deployed over the past several weeks to set up more than 200 temporary pop-up sites that have administered 86,000 doses. Cook County Health CEO told Crane's sister publication, Modern Healthcare, that the plan moving forward will need to focus more on expanding and modifying the program's education and awareness effort, efforts that will involve engaging more with vaccine-hesitant individuals in hopes of offering more of what was described as a personal touch that will encourage more people to become vaccinated. Chicago-based online insurance startup Kin raised $69 million from investors, including professional golfer Rory McIlroy. The company is on track to more than triple its revenue this year. Kin, founded five years ago, sells homeowners insurance in Florida, Louisiana, and California. It sold about $30 million in premiums last year and is on pace to top $100 million this year, largely through increased customer acquisition and marketing. That according to CEO Sean Harper. And by spending less on overhead, such as on agents, Ken generally looks to beat traditional insurance companies on price. The company also is betting that it can better manage risk by making more extensive use of data than traditional insurers. And they targeted coastal areas at risk for natural disasters like hurricanes, floods, and wildfires. The latest financing was led by Hudson Structured Capital Management and hedge fund Senator Investment Group. The round also included Symphony Ventures, an investment partnership that includes McElroy. Earlier, the company had raised $52 million in equity and $35 million in debt. 
The Field Foundation, in partnership with the MacArthur Foundation, has named recipients for its 2021 Leaders for a New Chicago initiative, naming 10 community leaders who have been impacted by racism, discrimination, or disinvestment in underserved Chicago communities. The awards are part of Field's ongoing investment in racial justice visionaries and organizations addressing systemic issues in Chicago's divested communities. Each recipient will receive a $25,000 award to use as they wish. The $25,000 operating grant goes to their affiliated organization. And according to the Field Foundation, the recipient's work covers a wide range of areas, including justice, media, and storytelling, and art. And the award recipients represent a diversity of religions, ethnicities, gender identities, and sexual orientations. MacArthur Foundation officials said it wanted to recognize community leaders making a difference in the lives of others. Jeffrey Banks, senior program officer for the MacArthur Foundation, said in a release, quote, we are proud to provide the leaders with unrestricted support to keep pursuing their goals and personal growth as they change the landscape of our city. To find a list of the 10 winners and their affiliated organizations, visit chicagobusiness.com, where Wendell Hudson is reporting the story in detail. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, reporter Danny Ecker. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Cranes Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.